Mike on. Good afternoon. This is Joseph again. This time in this informative talk, you will hear now about Revelations, Battle of Armageddon, and the Seven Last Plagues. Hope you find this informative. Enjoy. Mike off. What does the future hold? Where can we find certainty in a world of uncertainty? The Book of Revelation provides hopeful answers for today, tomorrow, and forever. Join Mark Finley, author and world-renowned speaker, on a journey into the future with Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. Welcome back. We're journeying through the Book of Revelation together. One of the topics in the book of Revelation that really confuses many people is the topic of Armageddon. What is Armageddon? Is it an earthly conflict? Is it nations going at war, facing one another? Will Armageddon begin in Jerusalem and then burst forth throughout the world? We're going to study the book of Revelation, chapters 15 and 16 especially, and discover the truth about Armageddon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that in spite of this world's confusion and conflict, that Jesus is still in control. As we study this topic of Armageddon, we pray that you would enlighten our minds and give us hope in Christ's name. Amen. This presentation is entitled, Revelation's Battle of Armageddon and the Seven Last Plagues. As you look around the world, there are some traumatic things that are taking place earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunami disasters. And in this context, people are wondering, what does the future hold? Where is this world headed? Think of some of the conflagrations, the fires that have taken place, particularly in the west coast of America, hundreds, thousands of acres that have been burned. Or consider the rumbling of the earth, volcanic eruptions that have destroyed entire villages. What does the future hold? Where is this world headed? In the book of Revelation, the 16th chapter, the Bible talks about the battle of Armageddon, earth's last war. But that does lead us to some questions. What is Armageddon? Where will it be fought? Who will fight? Truth is stranger than fiction. And to understand the Battle of Armageddon, it's necessary to understand a larger conflict, a conflict between good and evil, a conflict between Christ and Satan. We are on the verge in the world of a financial crisis. Will that economic collapse lead nations to coalesce and come together with a political, religious, and financial union to try to save the world. When you consider earthquakes, famines, fires, flood, when you consider worldwide terrorism, when you consider the financial issues that our world is facing, and when you add to that the tension between nations and the global conflict, you almost wonder if the stage is being set for the rise of a universal world ruler. 
You also wonder if this, these economic problems, the global conflict, the natural disasters will bring together a coordination, a consolidation of nations. And then will that break apart and lead to Armageddon? How will Earth's last scenes develop? Now, fortunately, we don't have to guess. Fortunately, the book of Revelation reveals to us the last scenes of Earth's history. Let's go back to Revelation, the 14th chapter. We've been studying that in this series. This is the very heart of the book of Revelation. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now notice an angel flies in the middle of heaven. Here's an urgent end time message. This message is to leap across geographical boundaries. It's to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It is a universal message. But the Bible goes on. The angel says with a loud voice, fear, respect, give reverence or obey God. Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven, earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. So here's a message for end time. It's a message for all humanity. It's a judgment hour message for a people on the verge of eternity. Then in this message, deeply embedded within the heart of this message, there is a call, a call to worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. So here is a call to worship the creator. Here's a call in an age of evolution to worship the one that made heaven and earth and sea and fountains of waters. How do we worship the creator? You remember Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you've created all things. How do we worship the creator? Has our Lord given us a sign of his creative authority? The Bible Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, given by God at creation, reveals just how we worship the creator. The Sabbath is the sign of God's creative authority. The Sabbath is the sign or symbol that God created the world in six days and rested the seventh and that we did not evolve. There is a conflict over worship in the book of Revelation. In fact, in Revelation, there are two worships. Revelation 14, verse 9 and 10 puts it this way. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. Now notice in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 7, it talks about worshiping the creator. Revelation 14, verse 9, talks about worshiping the beast. So the final conflict in this earth's history comes over the subject of worship. Revelation predicts a final conflict between two kinds of worship, true worship and false worship. That has been true down through the centuries. When you look at the Old Testament, men and women had a conflict over worship. The great conflict in the last days of earth's history is a struggle in the human mind. It's not so much a physical battle between nations, but the great battle is a battle for the soul, and it revolves around this issue of worship. 
Think about it down through the centuries. The Israelites worshiped the true God. The pagan heathen tribes worshiped idols, a struggle over worship. The Israelites worshiped on the Sabbath. The, their uh, opposition, the heathen, worshiped the sun god. So again, this struggle over worship, the false gods and the true god, the false Sabbath and the true Sabbath. Each of these was a test of loyalty, worshiping the true god or false gods, worshiping on the true Sabbath or false Sabbath. There's a much larger issue here in the great controversy between good and evil, in the great controversy between Christ and Satan, in this great controversy that began millenniums ago in heaven, that focused on earth with Adam and Eve in the garden. The issue has always been, will I trust God? Will I sense that God is supreme? Will I give my allegiance to Him? Will I obey Him? And will I worship Him alone? When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and disobeyed God, they aligned themselves with Satan in false worship. Fortunately, God did not let them go, and He came to the Garden and gave them that Eden promise, the promise of a Messiah. When Israel drifted away from God, and they worshiped in harmony with the heathen and intermarried and at times worshiped idols, when that happened, they aligned themselves with false worship rather than true worship. In the controversy throughout the Old Testament between the people of God and the heathen, when you look at the whole idea of sun worship of the Egyptians and sun worship of the Babylonians and sun worship of the Persians, and you compare that to Sabbath worship, again, the issue is a test of loyalty between the true God and the false gods. You find that in Daniel chapter 3 when Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden image and commands all to come before that image to worship. There was a universal decree established by a universal world ruler inviting, I said inviting, commanding all the nation to come to worship the golden image. Now you remember in Daniel, the second chapter, God had given an outline of history, an image whose head was of gold, breast and arms of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. God's directions throughout history, God's unfolding of history was given in Daniel chapter 2. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that. He didn't want the head to be of gold, then another nation, breasts and arms of silver, meet a Persia. He wanted the whole image to be of gold because he wanted his kingdom to rule forever and ever. So he sets up a counterfeit image, commands worship to that image, and there is a test of loyalty. Now, in that point, the first and second commandments were the visible manifestation of that test. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrews, to bow down, they would have been bowing down in false or in counterfeit worship. They could not do this. So down through the centuries, the real issue is worship. Revelation 15, verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. We will see again 
The issue will be worship, true and false worship. Now, there is something that's a little confusing to some people here because they say the wrath of God is complete. What is God's wrath? Is God's wrath His anger? Is God an angry God? In the Bible, the expression, the wrath of God, is not His anger at sinners. It's His judgment upon sin. So God's wrath is always God's judgment. God is just and He's merciful. At the cross, we see the justice of God. Christ bears the sins of this world Himself. But we also see on the cross the mercy of God reaching out to save lost sinners. So what is God's wrath? It's His judgment upon sin. Now, according to the book of Revelation, how will these events unfold at end time? And what are these events that will unfold? Often you'll read about certain events that supposedly are going to unfold. Some people say there will be a rapture, then there'll be a tribulation that God's people will not go through the seven last plagues and they will not face Armageddon. Other people have various scenarios, but I love that old poem. What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? This my only question be, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? What are the end events outlined in Scripture? First, there'll be a worldwide preaching of the gospel before the end. Matthew 24, verse 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations, then the end will come. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Revelation 14, verse 6 says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So before the coming of Christ, it's clear in the Bible that Jesus wants to save every human being. And so, the message of his love and grace and truth goes out to the end of the world. Secondly, all humanity will make a final eternal choice Every human being on planet Earth will have sufficient evidence to make a choice for or against Christ, to make a choice for true worship or false worship, to make a choice over who they're going to worship. Whenever a human being has had that choice, the mark of the beast will be enforced in this final conflict over worship. You remember again, Revelation 14, verse 7, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him, worship the Creator who made heaven and earth. Revelation 14, verse 9, if any man worships the beast, he will receive the wrath of God. And what's that? That's the judgment of God. Revelation 14, verse 12, here are, the command, here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So, verse 7, Revelation 14, worship the Creator. Verse 9, Revelation 14, don't worship the what? That's right, don't worship the beast. And those that worship the Creator and don't worship the beast, what do they do? They have the faith of Jesus. The quality of faith of Christ is living in their hearts and they keep the commandments of God. So before Armageddon, before the seven last plagues, every human being will have an opportunity to decide who they 
are going to worship. Now, God's loyal people will lovingly obey him. They've heard the call of God. Revelation 12, verse 17, the dragon, Satan, is angry with the woman and goes to make war with the remnant of her seed, those who keep the commandments of God and of the testimony of Jesus. So the devil is going to be really angry. He is going to be stirred up. He's going to want to destroy the people of God. That's why he prompts nations at a time of economic, political, chaos and natural disasters to come together in a confederacy. But what does the Bible say as that confederacy forms? Isaiah 8 verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to his word, there is no light in them. So this coordination of nations comes together. Powerful world ruler arises. Chaos is everywhere. Economic disaster everywhere. Political disaster. Uncertainty everywhere in this world. Financial collapse, natural disasters. And as this large coordination, consolidation takes place with a single world ruler, Jesus says, a confederacy shall they not make, Isaiah 8. You, my people, lovingly obey me, follow the light of my law. So men and women committed to Christ, sold out to Christ, are not intimidated. There is a false decree passed over the whole issue of worship. And when every human being has had their opportunity to make their final choice, the seven last plagues are poured out. Now, very many people have a real difficult time with the plagues because they say, how do you harmonize the seven last plagues with the love of God? And I want to share with you how you can see in those plagues God's love. At the end of those plagues, Christ comes to deliver his people. Now, somebody says, Pastor Mark, do you mean that the people of God actually go through the plagues? What we'll see is that our faith deepens. God's people are not delivered before the plagues, and we'll show you that from the Bible in this presentation, but they are protected during the plagues. The plagues do not afflict them and destroy them because Jesus is there to protect them. Now, notice clearly what the Bible says. Revelation 15, verse 8, no one, what's, what does it say? How many? Everyone? No, no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So the Bible is very clear. If we were raptured before the plagues, we would be entering into heaven and enter the temple, but nobody can enter the temple. Just before Jesus comes, every human being has the opportunity to make their decision for or against Christ. Once that decision has been made, the high priestly ministry of Jesus in heaven's sanctuary ceases. The Bible then says in Revelation 22 verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be what? Unjust still. And he who is filthy, let him be what? Filthy still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. And he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. In other words, before the coming of Jesus, there are two classes that are developed. The 12th verse of Revelation 22 says, Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me. So before Jesus comes, two classes are developed, the righteous and the unrighteous, the holy and the unholy, the pure and the impure. Once everybody has made their decision, then the judgments of God fall upon the earth. 
Now, human probation, and what do we mean by human probation? We mean an opportunity for salvation. You see, when Christ comes, everybody will have made their final irrevocable decision. The final crisis that's coming upon our world will lead men and women to make one of two decisions, completely for Christ or completely against Christ. Now, let me make it very plain. When the decree goes forth, he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still, and he that is holy, let him be unholy still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. When that decree goes forth, it is not some arbitrary act on the part of God. It's not God saying, okay, ready or not, you're either ready or you're not ready. It is rather heaven's decree follows the eternal decision that has taken place on planet earth. The decisions that human beings make in that final crisis are the culmination of decisions they've been making all their lives and their destiny is fixed in that final moment. They make their choice. So if probation were open for another 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, it would make no difference at all because two classes have been developed. And these two classes have made their final decision completely for Christ or completely against Christ. Once that takes place, according to Revelation 16, verse 1, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. What are the bowls of the wrath of God? They are the seven last plagues and they are God's judgments upon the earth. You remember in Revelation chapter 7, the angels are holding back the winds of strife, the winds of destruction and calamity on earth. When God withdraws his protective hand, this earth is plunged into a time of trouble that we could not imagine. Now the question is, do God's people go through the tribulation? Are they raptured before it? Let's notice the clear text of the Bible. The Israelites were protected by God during the plagues that were poured out on the Egyptians. The Israelites were not delivered until after the plagues. And you recall in 1 Corinthians, the Bible says this. It says all those things that happened to them happened as examples. That's everything that happened to Israel happened as examples. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world were come. So just as the Israelites were present through the plagues and miraculously delivered by God at the end of the plagues when the Red Sea opened and they went through and the Egyptians were killed, so God's people are present but protected through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues. The journey of Israel from Egypt to the promised land is reminiscent, it is symbolic of the journey of God's people today from earth, the, our Egypt, our Babylon and the earth, to the promised land. So once again, this parallel finds fulfillment in the seven last plagues. God's people are present during the plagues, just like Israel. They are delivered after the plagues. You remember also, we mentioned earlier the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up on the plains of Dura that was all of gold. This universal world ruler passes a death decree 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not break the commandments of God. They stand loyally, but they are not raptured before the test. They go through the test and are cast into the flames, and Christ is there in the flames with them, protecting them, and not a hair of their head is singed. Here's the incredible good news. You see, there is a theology, there is a Bible teaching today that says if you're righteous, you're going to be healthy. If you're righteous, you're going to be wealthy. If you're righteous, you're not going to have any problems. That's not the teaching of Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were righteous. They were faithful to God, but they were not delivered from the flames. They went through those flames, and Jesus Christ was with them in the flames. Here's the good news. If you're going through the flames of your life, you're going through a very difficult time right now. It could be with cancer. It could be with a marriage problem. It could be something in the family could be an economic problem. Christ is there with you. He's there in the flames of your life. He's there in the heartache of your life. He's there when your heart is broken and tears are running down your face. Christ is there. He is going to get you through this. And in the last days of verse history, Jesus is there. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, just when I need him most, Christ is there in the flames of your life, just like he was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames of their life. Now, do God's people go through the tribulation? What does the Bible say in Revelation 7 verse 14? talks about the deliverance of God's people, and it says, these are the ones who come out of great tribulation. So if you come out of great tribulation, you must have gone into great tribulation. The Bible teaches that we will go through that tribulation, but we will go through that tribulation protected by God. We will go through that tribulation with God as our refuge and our strength. So the seven last plagues are poured out. God's people have made their final irrevocable decision for him. The righteous are righteous and the wicked are wicked. Christ then pours out his judgments upon the world. He withdraws his protective hand. And this world is plunged into chaos. What are those seven last plagues? The first plague is sores. The Bible says a foul and loathsome sore on those that receive the mark of the beast. This sore from head to toe. Now, how do you harmonize a sore like that with the love of God? Why would God ever allow this sore that is grievesome, loathsome, putrefying, painful? Why would God ever withdraw his hand and allow an affliction or a disease to come that way? Here's why. You remember what those who enforced the mark of the beast said. You remember that? The Bible says in Revelation 13 that they said, unless you take the mark of the beast, you will be physically oppressed. You will be physically tormented. In fact, you know, the seal of God 
is received only in the mind. What is the seal of God? It is the settling into God's truth so strongly and the commitment to worship Him so totally that nothing can move us. What is the mark of the beast? We'll study that in much more detail in this series, but it is accepting human decrees and human commands before the command of God. So the mark of the beast can be received either in the forehead, people are intellectually convinced, or it can be received in the hand. The seal of God or allegiance to God can never be received in the hand. Why not? In Revelation, the hand is a symbol of power. It's a symbol of coercion. So here these people who receive the sore say either you take the mark of the beast or else we are going to physically oppress you. That which they claim to do to others, the Bible says whatever you sow you're going to reap, they receive a physical sore. What does the first plague say? It says all physical security is in Christ. It says come and give your body to Christ like Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore brethren to present your bodies a living sacrifice before Christ. In other words, the first plague is a physical plague that afflicts the body. Those who enforce the mark of the beast say, you either take the mark or we're going to torment your body. But in the first plague, Jesus says, all physical security is where? In Christ. Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth be removed. Notice what Scripture says, so the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. We have our physical security in Christ. We're not going to yield to the threats. We're not going to yield to the intimidation. We're not going to yield to the pressure. Why? Because we are strong? No. But because our physical security, we have given our bodies to Christ. Now notice the second plague, the sea turns to blood. If anything like that ever happened, if anything like that ever happened, what would take place to the economy of the world. When a hurricane is coming across the Atlantic, what do people typically do? They go to stores once they see the weather report and they buy up all their food, right? Why? Because commerce takes place on the sea and of course the great trucking lines. Now notice what the Bible says in Revelation 16 verse 1. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. If anything like that ever happened, now just, just imagine it, let your mind grasp it. If the sea ever became like blood, if every living creature in the sea died, think of the stinking, putrefying, absolutely horrible, stench. Think of the inability of the shipping lines to be able to bring any kind of commerce. What would happen? The grocery stores would be jammed. Soon they would be out of food. I am told that most grocery stores in the United States anyway have about four or at most days, most five days of food. If that is true, Think of what would happen if you had a run on food. Think of what would happen if the sea couldn't transport any food. Think of what would happen if every one of our ports were shut down. 
there would be economic chaos. What does the second plague say? All economic security is in Christ. Remember the enforcers of the mark of the beast said, you better receive the mark of the beast or else, Revelation 13, you will not be able to buy or you won't be able to sell. But here in the second plague, they cannot deliver because that which they promised never occurs. First plague, all physical security is in Christ. Second plague, all economic security is in Christ. Third plague, the rivers turn to blood. What's this all about, the rivers turning to blood? Now here's where you get your clue to the deeper meaning of the plagues. When you're studying the Bible, often Scripture will give you a clue to understand the deeper meaning. In the Bible, water is a symbol of life. Revelation 16 verse 4 says, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Water is this symbol of life in the Bible. And so when you take a look at this third plague, Revelation 16 verse 5 and 6, and I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and is to be. See, Jesus was, he's eternal. Jesus is, he conquered the grave and conquered death. This is taken from Revelation 1 and reiterated or restated in Revelation 16. And he is the one to be. So Christ is the one who was there yesterday, who is there today and will be there tomorrow. He is the source of life. Then the scripture says, because, because you have judged these things, because they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. So why does he give them blood to drink? Because they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. In other words, Jesus says to them, you have thought that you have power over life, but you don't. I am the source of life. So the rivers and waters turning to blood, literally, like blood, are symbolic of the life that only Christ can give. He is the river of the water of life. So there's a much deeper meaning here. Are the plagues physical plagues? Yes, they are. Do people really get sores? Yes, they do. Does the sea actually turn to something like blood with everything that dies in it? Yes, it is. Do the rivers actually become like blood? Yes, they do. But what is the lesson behind that? Often we look at the physical aspects of it and totally fail to see what's going on. The first plague says, all physical security is in Christ. The beast power says, I'm going to torment you. What does Jesus say? Trust me, physical security is in me. The beast power says you won't be able to buy or sell. What does Jesus say? Trust me, I will feed you during that time. Your bread and waters will be sure. All economic security is in me. The beast power says, if you don't worship me, I'm going to take your life. And what does Jesus say? Your life is hid with Christ in God. Why does he give them blood to drink? What does it say? You have given them blood to drink for it's their just due. In other words, they persecuted the people of God and therefore life is only in him. All of our life is in Christ. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, set your affections on things above because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isaiah chapter 33 verse 16 in this time of crisis, 
Bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. You and I will go through this time of tribulation. You and I will go through this time of difficulty, this time of challenge. All around us, we will see chaos and disaster, but Jesus will manifest his hand. Our bread and our water, the essentials of life, will be sure. First plague, sores. The answer to that is that our bodies are given to Christ. All physical security is in Christ. Second plague, sea turns to blood. The issue here is much deeper than the sea turning to blood, is that economic security is in Christ. We trust him for everything in our life. Third plague, rivers turn to blood. The issue here is that our life is in his hands. Notice the fourth plague, sun scorching men. Remember what the issue is in the last days? The issue in the last days is over what? It is over worship. And what have some done? They've turned from the true Bible Sabbath. They've turned to the day of the sun. Revelation 16, verse 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. <clears throat> Why is it that the sun scorches men? The largest luminous body in the heavens has been the object of worship for men and women down through the centuries. Every pagan society has given reverence and worship to the sun. In the last days, there is a great controversy between sun worship and Sabbath worship, between worshiping the creator and worshiping the object of creation, between worshiping the one that made and worshiping by some the things that have been made. And so the Bible says, and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Now, this is a very critical text. They did not repent and give him glory. Four plagues have already taken place, and you would think that these who have turned from his love, rejected his grace, those who are seeing the plagues, you'd think that they would repent and get on their knees and say, God, we're so sorry. God, forgive us. But they don't. It says they didn't repent. Why not? Because remember at the beginning of the plagues, he that is just, let him be unjust still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is unholy, let him be unholy still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So we see that they have fixed their character. They had made their eternal decision. So the sun scorches men. You see, the plagues reveal that they've trusted the wrong sources. The plagues reveal that they've worshiped at the wrong shrine. The plagues reveal that there is only one that can deliver us during those plagues, and he is the creator God. What does this fourth plague say? All true worship is in Christ. That he is the object of our worship. Remember in Genesis Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day. And God did what? He 
sanctified the seventh day, and God rested upon the seventh day. And there at creation, back at the beginning, God invited Adam and Eve to find true meaning, true purpose, true rest, true blessing, true sanctification, true worship in Him. And so in the last days of earth's history, that crisis over worship, Psalm 91, verse 1 to 3, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. What is the secret place of the Most High? It's his sanctuary. And what is, it in, what is in his sanctuary? The law of God. And what's in the heart of the law? The Sabbath. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When the sun scorches man, the shadow of the Almighty protects us. His law is over us, just like that cloud guiding Israel through the deserts protected them from the scorching sun. So God, our shadow, His law over us, His love within us, protects us in those times. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge in my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. When the crisis breaks in this earth's history, we can trust Him. Fifth plague, darkness. Now notice where the darkness is. Revelation 16, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Now notice where the darkness is. It says, on the throne of the beast, his kingdom became full of darkness. Now by this time, all the world has wandered after the beast. By this time, the beast's power's kingdom is throughout the earth. So there is darkness. <clears throat> they looked to the beast power, a human religious authority whose united church and state, they looked to that power for light. They looked to that power for truth. But they only found tradition, falsehood, and darkness. The literal darkness, and the darkness is a literal darkness. That literal darkness is symbolic of a deeper spiritual darkness. What's God saying in that fifth plague? He's saying all light is only in Jesus. If you want the light of truth, you come to Jesus. If you want the light that shines in the darkness, you come to Jesus. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's Word illuminates the future. God's Word enlightens the future. The human, human beings follow a false religious leader at the time of the end. And as they do, they're led into superstition, falsehood, deception, and tradition. But God's people exalt His Word. God's people follow in the light of the truth of His Word. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. So the question is, if we walk in the darkness of superstition now, if we walk in the darkness of falsehood and error now, we'll be engulfed in that darkness within the seven last plagues. But if we walk in the light of God's truth now, we will be engulfed with the light of Jesus, the light of the world, during the plagues. 
Revelation 16, verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Their decisions fixed their destiny. No, it's extremely dangerous for us to turn from any teaching of God's Word that we really know. If you do that, you'll gradually be led into darkness. The only safety is to walk in the truth of God's Word. The only safety is to walk in the light of God's Word. The only safety is to walk in the joy and peace of God's Word. Sixth plague, Armageddon. First plague, sore. Second plague, sea turns to blood. Third plague, rivers turn to blood. Fourth plague, sun scorches people. Fifth plague, darkness. Sixth plague, Armageddon. What is Armageddon? And what's the meaning of Armageddon? The word Armageddon comes from the Hebrew root words har megeto, and it means the mountain of slaughter. In the last days of Earth's history, in this conflict between good and evil, in this conflict between Christ and Satan, all of the world is marshalling its forces against the people of God. In the book of Judges, when God's people were surrounded, when doom seemed certain, God miraculously delivered them. So Armageddon, Har-Megeddo, the mountain of slaughter, the, the plains of Megiddo were the place where it appeared that God's people had no way out, around, or through. It looked like they certainly would be defeated, but God brought reinforcements to deliver His people. So in the last days of verse history, follow me closely, there's war, conflict, famine, and strife. There's economic disaster. As this world is falling apart, a powerful world leader arises to bring the world together. The masses of people in this world, the legislators of this world, yield to those masses. They yield to the popular demand. And so a common day of rest and worship is enforced upon humanity. Those who worship the Creator cannot go along. Therefore, they worship on the true Sabbath. As the result of this, every human being is catapulted to make a final eternal decision for or against Christ. When that decision is made, the judgments of God are poured out. Those judgments come rapidly, one right after the other. They're called the seven last plagues. By the time of the sixth plague, those who followed the beast in this unity movement, this confederacy, recognize that what they thought would happen does, hasn't happened at all. They thought they could bring unity and bring peace to earth, but now there's total chaos and calamity. So they marshal their forces. All the forces of hell are marshaled against the people of God. What is the Battle of Armageddon? It's not a local military battle. It is rather a titanic struggle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, where evil tries to destroy righteousness. But what does the Bible say in Psalm 91, verse 5 to 8? You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor by the arrow that flies by noonday, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. 
A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Christ is going to step down the court of the sky. He's going to come with power. He's going to come with glory. He's going to come to deliver his people. See, what is the message of Armageddon? In Christ we are secure. In Christ we are sheltered. In Christ we are safe. That Jesus Christ is going to come to deliver his people. Psalm 91, verse 5 to 8, Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. What is Armageddon? The final conflict in the universe between good and evil, where wickedness tries to destroy righteousness, where the people of God are facing destruction, but God, like He did for ancient Israel, miraculously delivers them. Notice what Jesus says right after the verse in chapter 16, verse 14 on Armageddon. What does it say in Revelation 16, verse 15? Behold, Armageddon has come, but behold, look, see, I come as a thief. Quickly, rapidly, blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. In other words, hold on. Don't give up your righteous commitment to Christ now. Do not cast off your faith, your trust in Christ now. By the way, what sense would it make to say after six plagues that I'm coming as a thief if you already had come at the beginning of the plagues? What sense would it make to say that Christ delivers his people before the tribulation when the Bible says he's coming as a thief after the tribulation, after six plagues. You and I live through those plagues. But we are protected by God. And during that period of the plagues, we are His. We are secure. Our physical security is in Christ. Our economic security is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. Our true worship is not with the sun god. Fourth plague, it's in Christ. True light is not at the throne of the beast. It's in Christ. Our security and hope is in Christ. Our deliverance is in Jesus Christ. One day he will come again. The heavens will be pierced with the lightning that flashes from the east to the west. The dead will be resurrected who are in Christ. The righteous will be changed and we caught up to meet him in the sky. Revelation 16, verse 17 and 18. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from heaven, from the throne saying, it is done, it is finished, it is over. Jesus Christ comes again. There were noises and thunderings, Revelation 16, 17, and 18. And there was a great earthquake, such mighty and great earthquake as not been since men were upon the earth. The earth shakes and trembles, every mountain and island cast out of their places, according to the Bible. According to Scripture, every island, every mountain, shaking of the earth. Great hail falls down, the weight of a talent, over 60 pounds. The artillery from heaven comes. It's Armageddon. Wickedness is destroyed. Evil is destroyed. Satan and his angels are bound to this earth at that time, the beginning of the millennium. We'll study that next time. All of the wicked are destroyed. Their bodies strewn across the earth. The righteous are resurrected, caught up to meet Christ in the sky. God's people are protected by Him, sheltered by Him, delivered by Him 
in the crisis of this earth, we can have our confidence in Jesus Christ. In the confidence in the crisis of this earth, we can know that He is coming to deliver us. A number of years ago, an Australian woodsman who had a little cabin out in the woods went out one day to chop wood for his fireplace. And on the way back, he saw smoke. He was amazed. He picked up his face and began to run, and he noticed that it was his cabin that was on fire. By the time he got back, the cabin was burned, burned to the ground completely. All of his livestock burned, consumed. The man walked in so discouraged. He didn't have much in life. That cabin was about all he had. He looked down, he saw all his chickens. They were burned to death. He said, this is it. No beginning over. My, I, I, everything I had, I put into this cabin. This is it, it's over. As he walked, he saw some charred charcoal boards, and he just kicked them a little bit, and he noticed a dead mother hen. He was kind of angry, and he kicked that old dead mother hen. And out from under her came four little chicks. She had sheltered those chicks. And they scampered around, and he smiled, and he said, this is my symbol of a new beginning. Jesus says to you, in the time of tribulation in the future, and in the time of your tribulation today, he says, I'll be with you. The Bible says in Psalm 91 in verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. He shall be your truth, your shield, and your buckler. In the trials of life today, in the tribulation of life today, you have one that is there. And in the future, according to Psalm 91 verse 10, no evil shall be for you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. He holds you in his arms. He'll never let you go. He's with you in the trials today and tomorrow and forever. You are safe in him, secure in him. Your hope is in him. Listen as Tim sings, I'm thine, O Lord. heard thy voice and it told thy love to me but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee Consecrate me now, 
to your service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. You might be thinking, Pastor Mark, I don't have to wait for the great tribulation because I'm going through a tribulation right now. I don't have to wait for some future trials or future difficulties because I don't know if I'm going to make it through today, this week, this month, this year. Here's the incredibly good news for you. Jesus is there. He says, I am your refuge and your strength. He says, come unto me all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus is there for you right now. Will you reach out to him right now? Will you open your heart to him right now? Will you say to Jesus right now, I am thine and thine, O Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, my Father, there's a time of trouble coming in the future, a great time of tribulation. But we're thankful that you were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they went into the flames, and you'll be with us. We're thankful that you're our refuge and strength. We're thankful that we need not fear. And Father, I'm praying for somebody going through tribulation today, somebody facing trial today. I pray that you'd come near them. Warm their heart with your presence. Give them a sense of hope and help them to know that you'll never let them go. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this series called Revelations, Ancient Discoveries. As the series continues, we are going to delve very deeply into Bible prophecy. We're going to study Babylon in Revelation, study why there's so many different denominations, and also examine the beast in Bible prophecy and look at the United States in prophecy. Stay with us for this series and you will be blessed. Mike on. 
This completes chapter 13 of Armageddon and the Seven Plagues. Stay tuned for the next episode of the series, which will be announced when I start it. Thanks for listening for now. Support of my podcast is welcome and feedback is welcome. Until next time, this is Joseph saying, May the Lord bless and keep you, and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. Bye for now.